the biggest thing that people need to understand is that when a lender or somebody tells you that something is not true about the VA loan or that you can't do something with the VA loan, that you need to ask where that is in the VA guidelines. Because 90% of the time, it's a overlay from a lender and not actually the guidelines. And so the lender themselves won't play ball or can't do that thing. And yet the, the VA itself wouldn't care because the VA, the guidelines on the VA loan themselves are ridiculously loose. Prime example, the VA has no minimum credit score, does not have a DTI requirement. And like, there's all kinds of other ridiculous things. Um, so per the VA, you could have a 10 credit score and be qualified to buy a house. Now, good luck finding a lender, but I know lenders who will close with a 500 credit score. Uh, I've seen a lender close with a 78% back-end DTI, <laughs> um, and they closed it in 18 days <laughs> on a $1.93 million house in Venice Beach, zero down. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when I hear people say, oh, the VA can't do, I'm like, ah, probably can. You just need a different lender. <laughs> So the question is this, how do most agents succeed in today's competitive real estate market when all the successful agents are keeping the secrets to themselves? So that's the question. And this podcast will give you the answer. I interview agents from all over the world. I ask them their tactics and they share all of their secrets with me so we can give them to the world. I'm Aaron Amuchastegui and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, coming to you live. I've been traveling for a couple of weeks. I'm so glad to be back in my home studio today. I am recording so many podcasts over the next few days, but the first one is the one that you guys are listening to right now. This interview is with David Perret. So the I met David at a GoBundance event, but the but some of you guys have probably heard of him or heard of you know his social media and some of the the outreach groups that he had when we got to meet each other and um, you know is this part of this like group exercise we were doing we didn't recognize each other's names but then when he when he told me what he was doing I said oh yeah I've seen that so so military to millionaire is his online group social media however however you know, his community I guess we'd call it where he teaches people all about real estate. And I was on his podcast recently, wanted to get him on here to talk to you guys about all sorts of stuff. And we're going to have some fun. David, how's it going? It's going great, brother. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it was it was funny because you know, we introduced ourselves and we just kind of won the the lottery of random bumping into each other. At yeah, the... it was like pick a, pick somebody somewhere else in the room and we were left. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were the only people left standing pretty much. And we sit down to talk and we start going through the, the first questions. And I, I don't know that it clicked until you were like, yeah, I do this podcast called real estate rock stars and it was like oh yeah okay i, I know exactly who you are now i've yeah. listened to your show and yeah okay it's funny yeah no then we <laughs> then we looked on social media we're like oh yeah we've been following each other's content <laughs> the before that was that was awesome that was a funny little small world moment that gets to happen now and then yeah. so the so and as so you do a lot of real estate stuff when did you get into real estate I bought my first property on the end of December in 2015, and uh, I actually just sold that house last week, which uh, was a bittersweet moment. But so, your first house, how much did you pay in 2015? Ooh, I bought it for seventy nine nine, and I sold it 
for 168. Cool. So not too bad. And I used an FHA. So what did you learn on that first one? Oh, it was great. It was a, a duplex. It was a house hack. So, I mean, I think I'm, I was probably all into that place for four grand with a three and a half percent down and a LVP floor in the side that I lived in and maybe some paint that I threw on a porch. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, I lived in it for six months and then I got stationed in another state. And so when I moved out, I rented the one side. And so, uh, when I lived in it, I managed, you know, self-managed the one side. So I learned the basics of, you know, for six months, so not a ton, but I learned the basics of management and, you know, some maintenance and, and whatever. And then I had to go hire a property manager and, and kind of just started to learn the basics of all that. But the biggest thing I learned from it was that it works, you know, it was the light bulb moment of, you know, proof of concept. And it was enough for me to realize it was worth going all in on. And and that property essentially changed my life. So how long did you live in it? Just six months. So you bought yeah. it, you lived on one side for six months. You were your own property manager. You were your own property manager for a little while. And then when you moved out, was that the moment you're like, okay, I'm going to hire a property manager to do this instead? Yeah. So I bought it thinking that I was going to become a career recruiter, meaning uh, I was a recruiter for the Marine Corps in Springfield, Missouri at the time. And I thought that I was going to stay in Springfield for a lot longer. I was going to uh, basically remain a recruiter. Uh, ironically, you have to get promoted to a certain rank in order to stay, become a career recruiter. And the funny thing is that I was the recruiter, like the, the station commander of the year for the state, uh, but I wasn't promoted therefore not eligible to become a career. So the funny, you know, the, the, the funny thing there is that I was the, the station of the year for the state, but not eligible by rank to join, you know, to, to stay there. I wasn't good enough apparently. Um, so just kind of a weird way the military works, but, uh, so I thought I was going to get to stay and I got orders to Hawaii, which ended up being a great thing anyway. Um, but I bought the house thinking I was going to be there for a few more years. And, uh, like a month after I bought it, they're like, Hey, Dave, you're leaving. I'm like, Oh, well, I guess I need to start planning for other things. Then <laughs> everybody hopes get restationed to Hawaii. Yeah. Isn't I was that, not complaining. The best call you can get in the military. <laughs> yeah. It was the best duty station I ever had. And it was also the duty station that led me to, you know, meeting and becoming friends with Brandon Turner, which led to the conversation that started the brand. I mean, it was, it was all meant to be for sure. So the, I just spent a couple of weeks in Hawaii out there. The, um, it's just fun. Yeah. There's a bunch of, bunch of mutual friends out there, big names in real estate. And it was funny now that Brandon's voice is on the radio. They're advertising, um, you know, their new, uh, like this new f flight service that flies back and forth from LA. And it was the funniest thing to hear his voice on normal radio, uh, as an ad instead of old bigger pockets and the other stuff. So the, so you moved out. So you were out in Hawaii when you met Brandon, was it at one of the meetups or how'd, how'd you do that? Yeah. Brandon, he posted in Facebook group essentially that, or maybe his Instagram, he was like, Hey, I'm going to be on this little beach doing a get together. If anyone wants to come say hi, like a meet and greet. Mm -hmm. And the beach was right down the road from my base. So, uh, I went, showed up and I didn't want to do the fangirl thing. So I like shook his hand, said, Hey, thanks. Your book helped me buy this house. And then I just networked with all the locals and one of the locals was this dude named Doug Nordman, who's like a retired Navy guy with like long ponytail, uh, you know, board shorts, flip flops, Hawaiian shirt, just what you'd imagine. And he retired from the Navy and he, he just teaches people to surf for free, uh, on his off time. And Doug and I clicked and 
he does, he, he seemed to know about finances and, you know, by the end of the day, Doug and I probably talked for two hours and he invited me to go surfing with him on Saturday. So I was like, Oh, cool. Yeah. I'll go learn something about surfing and hang out with Doug. And, uh, Doug never mentioned that Brandon was like that. That was the reason Brandon was in the Island that they were staying at, with him or hanging out with him. Uh, and so I show up on Saturday and I end up on a surfboard with Doug and Brandon for four hours. And then the next day I'm at lunch with Brandon and David Green. And then the next day I'm like meeting, I took David and Scott Trench and Brandon. There's like all these, it's funny because like that trip ended up being, I've got pictures of me and Brandon and David Green and Brandon and Scott Trench before David or Scott wrote their books. And um, so I just kind of got tied into that community pretty just out of luck, I guess. Like I just happened to be right place, right time. And that's then cool. it, it kind of went from there. Yeah. So, li- so listeners don't worry, we're going to get into real estate, more real estate stuff as we get there, but that's a fun example of, of, I guess, networking and getting yourself out there because you've grown this really big community and you just were very subtle in the idea. It's like, well, I went to, moved to Hawaii and then I, you know, I got to have a couple hour conversation with these guys that had built their own communities and that inspired you to go build one and build your own podcast and kind of build all this stuff that now you you've seen. So I asked you before we started this, you know, cause I only interview real estate agents. I said, are you a real estate agent? You said, yes, but, and it was really interesting. You go, yeah, I'm a real estate agent, but I don't do active production, right? You only do referrals. But then you said, and I make six figures a year doing it. And I think that's a really interesting thing. Because one of the things we do when we talk about agents on here is we try to figure out from people like what is their niche, what is the ways they can get better at making money in real estate using what they're doing, and what are some ways maybe they haven't thought of. So tell me about that concept that the that you're a licensed agent, but you only make your money from referrals. So what made you want to get licensed? You know, and we, you know, when you first did, what was that process like, and how did that turn into a referral engine for you? You know, actually, it was a conversation with David Green. I believe I had introduced somebody to him because someone within the community was moving to the Bay Area. And I was just like, hey, dude, uh, would it be, would you be open to an introduction? I've got someone who's moving to your area. I don't, you know, I don't know if they're qualified, uh, you know, pre-qualified. I, I, I don't, I just, they're moving there and they asked if I know an agent, do you cover this part of the Bay Area? And he's like, yeah, man, shoot him over, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, that went well. And afterwards he just kind of casually was like, Hey, did you know if you were licensed that I could pay you 25% of my commission, like my team could. And it was just a very casual, like offhand remark, but sparked enough thinking that it was like, that's not the first time people have asked me for an introduction. I'm kind of a natural networker connector. I really enjoy making introductions and, you know, seeing both parties win from that introduction. There's not a whole lot that brings me more joy in the like community space than being like, Oh dude, I know the person that can solve that problem for you. Let me make that introduction. And then having it be a a successful, you know, interaction, whatever that looks like. And so it just seemed like, Oh, well, it seems like a cool opportunity if I can also make a little bit of money from it, especially because, you know, with the way referrals work, the person you're introducing doesn't pay 
anybody really. I mean, there's no, you know, the buyer doesn't pay anybody for the transaction on that. So, so how are you getting those leads? So, yeah. so where was that, where'd that first person come from? So I think it's, so I think that first part of it makes a lot of sense, right? It's like, okay, you get licensed and you plan to have referrals where you get to know agents in other places. And as long as you know, an agent where somebody's going, but the, so where are those leads coming from that now you're able to send out to people? Well, now I, I have cheat codes, right? I've got the, this massive Facebook group that's targeted towards, uh, service members and vets who are moving, you know, they're, they're interested in real estate. Uh, so I got a Facebook group with 55,000 people in it and service members move every two to three years. So uh, that is quite convenient for somebody who's in the business of making introductions to people who buy houses when they move. Uh, so I have quite a bit of content targeted towards, you know, agents, lenders, VA loans, all that, but that was all built out a lot of that. Uh, before I even got licensed. And then, uh, you know, on my website, there's just a button that says recommended agents and lenders. And I mention it occasionally on the podcast, but most of it is either I see somebody mention in the Facebook group that they're looking for an agent or a lender. And I just say, Hey, you know, happy to introduce you. Let me know what you're looking for. And then we send an intro or it's just people clicking on the form on the website that they found through one of the various other channels that points back there. Or it's somebody just reaching out to me and saying, Hey, Dave, do you know somebody here? One of the and it's just kind of all come trying. organically. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Buchastegui, and I'm interrupting myself to bring you this commercial break from one of our sponsors. There's somebody I've been looking at for a long time. And when they reached out to me, I said, yes, we have to be able to do this deal. So that sponsor is Follow Up Boss. There's a lot of superstars out there that use follow-up boss. What's your favorite CRM? We're using follow-up boss. So we use follow-up boss. So we use follow-up boss. I love follow-up boss. I love it. We have action plans now for bringing on new agents. We have action plans for our recruiting. Uh, we call them action plans and follow-up boss, which will trigger tasks for the agents to do as far as calling. Follow Boss, I like more for the integrations with everything, MailChimp, Call Action, all those different products. I will say we used Sync and we switched from Sync to Follow Boss. Honestly, the greatest CRM I've ever used, I've used Rivity, Sync. I've looked at Boomtown, like Real Geeks, just a bunch of different ones. But me personally, I fell in love with Fub about like seven months ago when I first started using it. I've used Boomtown, I've used Line Desk, I've used Conversion, and I think Follow Boss gives you the most integrations that are simple and it gives you the best ability to go and integrate large things into one single solitary platform yet at the same time it's still affordable i do like follow-up boss better just because it you can text from the app and things like that it's just a little more convenient for me um it tracks everything that i need i can customize it if i want if i want to go smart list based that's fine if i want to go task based it's fine i think it's one of the best systems and it's very user-friendly it just really helps me never drop a ball because it's so user-friendly. I don't have a one horse in the race of Follow-Up Boss. Purely objective, Follow-Up Boss has been the best one that we've found. Now, I've used Follow-Up Boss. We've actually used it in our non-real estate businesses as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing. So here's what we got. For Real Estate Rockstars listeners, you get a 30-day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30-day free trial, and check it out. 
especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet, this will be a great one for you to start with. Thanks again. Now back to our show. One of the people at our mastermind talked about, you know, joining all these local Facebook pages, but then having these, there's, there's now you can set up to where there's like searches on Facebook, where if someone mentions like realtor in a group, you can get notified. Yes. So when somebody says like, um, so they put in like these trigger words where when they joined like, you know, Austin parents or moving, you know, not like moving to Austin, but more like just a general, like, you know, Austin parents page, they did searches for like schools or realtor or buy or sell. Because when someone's asking a question about a school, they're usually looking at like moving into another neighborhood that ha- that's a new school district. And so um, they would quickly do answers and things like that. So I think getting yep. referrals from, I mean, one is you build uh, your own Facebook engine. Like you have, like you have your own community where you're that, you know, that trusted star of, or you can join these communities to be able to find you know people that are looking and moving. And, and you know, I, I wonder more why more people don't, um, you know, cause it's easy to do for your area. Right. But at the same time, like if you know agents in different areas, it would be really easy to quickly respond to a city you don't even live in to join, yes. you know, follow the same mission to join a Facebook group, you know, uh, up in Colorado, even if you're not an agent there, but with the same trigger words, where when somebody asks for agent, you get the lead and get to send it to who, you know, you get to grow out the, grow out the referral base, make, you know, money in real estate without the risk. So let's talk about some of the, this, the content that you've been doing for, you know, for your military to millionaire brand. One of the things we talked about before was how much you like, how much you love the VA loan and how so many people have wrong um, beliefs on it and what it is. And I know that I know from experience on the selling side, there was always and selling flips in particular. One of the great things was, um, you know, with VA compared to FHA is FHA had this, you know, flip rule of if, if, you know, if you you can't sell it within a certain amount of time, if you're going to flip it on, uh, on FHA. And if you do, sometimes you need a second, uh, second appraisal Well, VA doesn't require that. So that was great. VA quickly became one where we're like, we love doing the VA loans you're selling to a VA buyer for flips. But then we started to have these issues where the reality was most of the time it took longer. So then in our brain, we have this thing that we think of, of, well, if VA loans, they're going to be less likely to appraise because the, because the appraisers are pickier and, or escrows are going to be a lot longer because they just can't move quite as fast. So I know that there's probably everything that I know, there's probably some truth in it, but there's probably plenty of things that I'm wrong about. So, so when I think about that, like overall, like my first impressions of VA, where am I right? Where am I wrong? And what are some other like things that you commonly hear that you have to like correct people when they're saying, no, I'm not going to get my offer accepted because it's VA. Yeah. So whatever, whatever common misconceptions you come up with. Oh yeah, there's tons of them. The, the biggest thing that people need to understand is that when a lender or somebody tells you that something is not true about the VA loan or that you can't do something with the VA loan, that you need to ask where that is in the VA guidelines. Because 90% of the time, it's a overlay from a lender. 
and not actually the guidelines. And so the lender themselves won't play ball or can't do that thing. And yet the, the VA itself wouldn't care because the VA, the guidelines on the VA loan themselves are ridiculously loose. Prime example, the VA has no minimum credit score, does not have a DTI requirement. And like, there's all kinds of other ridiculous things. Um, so per the VA, you could have a 10 credit score and be qualified to buy a house. Now, good luck finding a lender, but I know lenders who will close with a 500 credit score. Uh, I've seen a lender close with a 78% backend DTI, um, and they closed it in 18 days on a $1.93 million house in Venice Beach, zero down. So, uh, you know, when I hear people say, oh, the VA can't do, I'm like, ah, probably can. You just need a different lender. The problem that you run into with why the VA takes longer uh, or is perceived that way is that there's, and I'm not going to name drop, but there are a few companies that do a lot of volume and did a really good job marketing for the VA loan. And they're really big companies. And with any big company or corporation, right, there's all kinds of slow systems and you get passed from this person, this person, this person, this person, or whatever. And they're just really not the best lenders. But one of them is so good at their marketing that even I, sometimes when I go to look for the guidelines on something, will accidentally click on their website because they've done such a good job of looking like the VA <laughs> instead of, and it gets kind of confusing. And so people end up using some of these companies that, you know, I would never actually recommend as a lender. And unfortunately they do 80% of the loans out there. So while I know lenders who, you know, I had a, I have a lender in, in California, for example, who with the VA loan will guarantee a seven, if, assuming you do a prequal or whatever, before they write the offer, will guarantee a 17 day closing and will stake a $240 a day per diem against that guarantee. So that if the lender is the reason it didn't close on set on day 17, they will pay the seller $240 a day for, you know, food or whatever for every day they're late on that. And for every property I've ever had go under contract with that lender, to my knowledge, they've never paid a single day in per diem. And so wow. that's, you know, and these are 750,000 to $1.5 million homes on average. Um, so it's, you know, it, it so just depends the on the lender. Or like anything else where, or like any other loan, it depends on the loan officer. There's Absolutely. conventional loans that can be done in 10 days. There's conventional loans that can be done in 40 depends on the loan officer or depends on the lending environment or the company and the, but you think that, uh, that some of the reason that VAs tend to get a, a bad rap from let's say investors or, or other people out there is really because the people that, cause there's some groups out there that are doing the most of them uh, that are a bit slower. So let's, let's, let's switch gears to like real estate investing in general. Yeah. Right. So the, so what is, so what's, what's your current, current like investing portfolio look like and what are your goals in that? Yeah, I've got, uh, you know, I've been selling some of my uh, more problematic, smaller stuff or just kind of headache stuff. So I've kind of basically anything that hadn't been renovated in the last 24 months that was under five doors uh, with the exception of, I think one that I have, well, two, two that I have left. Uh, has been sold in the last six months. So uh, 
Why did finish. you do that? Uh, just headaches more than anything, really. I just kind of looking at my portfolio, I realized where the majority of my phone calls were coming from for more than thousand dollar, you know, repairs from my property manager. And I was like, man, maybe I should just take this equity and roll it into things that don't call my phone. Um, and so I kind of just went with, if it's not been renovated in the last 24 months, or it's in this part of town. So, you know, I, when I first started investing, I was an enlisted, not a whole lot of money service member dude, which meant, meant that I had to play the high leverage CD class property game to really try to use my time and work ethic to make up for the lack of capital. And now I'm in a position where I don't have as much time and I have more capital. So I would rather put the money to work for my returns over my time. And I think that's, you know, natural progression for a lot of investors, right? Where you start off and your, your dollars are more valuable than your time. You're willing to put the blood, sweat and tears into stuff. And then as you move through that phase, you get to a point where you're like, okay, less blood, sweat and tears. Uh, Let's throw some money at this problem now. Um, so when you when you think about that, right? So right now there's you know, it's, it's not necessarily market driven. It's you just started to say like, hey, you you had one goal in mind, you started accomplishing that, and it started turning out a little bit different than you thought. What advice would you give to new people now, based on what you're doing, right? Like, what would you have done different as you're building your journey, or would you have done different? So like, if if I said, what should my strategy be, David? So I'm getting started. I want to start investing in real estate. I get those messages every single day uh, from agents. Hey, I want to start investing in real estate. Where do I start? You know, and the, and so based on your experience, what would you recommend people do? And what are something that they could learn from, you know, your ways that you, you, you would do better next time if you had another chance? Oh, the, the first thing is I would have gone much bigger on my first property. So that duplex, you know, I bought for $80,000 a great little property, but I was pre-approved for 150,000 and, or maybe 160 even. And I could have easily gotten into a fourplex, which probably on a fourplex, I probably could have gotten approved for 200,000 with the way DTI works and everything. And I didn't even consider that because I was nervous about, you know, is this the right decision? Let's not go a hundred percent all in and, and play it safe and go with the duplex. It's still a good test of whether or not this is a good idea, but it's not quite as risky. And I've kicked myself the, the, for years so about one, that. You would have said, go bigger on your first one. Absolutely. Your, your first With a three and a half percent down for more, especially at the, where, where the rates were. If you've got, if you've got good rates and it cash flows, uh, don't be afraid to go big on your first one. Yeah. Those primary residence mortgages are the best. So when you're locking in a house act, you know, go for that, that gnarly fourplex that's going to pay you, to live in it. I mean, I lived for pretty much free in that duplex. I would have been able to do the same thing in the fourplex and it would have returned a way, a way better ROI over the same period of time. Hey guys, a quick commercial break here, but don't worry. This one is only going to run for the next two or three episodes. I talk so much about the mastermind. It's one of my passions, getting everybody to come hang out in Austin, where I get to meet you guys. Well, we just had it you know, a few weeks ago and we decided for next year, we were gonna do pre-sales. We're only selling 70 tickets total for the whole country. And that way we keep it nice and small where everybody meets everybody and the end of it, it's like a big giant family. Well, we put out the pre-sales last week 
And in the during the pre-sales, we sold more than 60 tickets. So there's less than 10 spots left. 10 spots left if you want to join us for the mastermind for next year. We're putting the date so far out there. You've got no excuses um, to be able to know that the date works. You can put it in your calendar now. And we also set up a payment plan for people to break it up into four easy payments. So if you're one of those people that have thought about going to the mastermind, have never pulled the trigger, now's the time. And it's for it's for March for next year. But you got to go sign up now if you want that spot. I don't like selling. I don't like advertising. So we figured we would knock it out quickly. We'd knock it out you know, this first couple weeks in April for next year. So instead of working on that, we're going to focus on value. If you do join the mastermind, you get to be a uh, join part of our private Facebook group where we do monthly Zoom calls, where we do tactics on those calls. They're really small. There's like, you know, between 10 and 20 people on those. So you get to ask lots of questions and learn from experts. So if you are interested in signing up, go to realestaterockstarsnetwork.com forward slash mastermind, realestaterockstarsnetwork.com forward slash mastermind. Go lock in your ticket. We have less than 10 spots left. You can break it up into four payments. So that way it is much easier to to be sure to join. And I promise you, it is the least expensive mastermind out there for the type of stuff that we're doing. You know, the GoBundance masterminds that I talk about that I'm a part of cost five times what we do for this. And I try to deliver twice as much value. All right, back to the podcast. So, um, and for, for listeners that we've had a few house hack people on here, but we don't talk about it very often or as often as other, um, real estate investing shows would. And the whole concept with that is you're living in it while you also rent some stuff out. And so, and it's with your primary mortgage, which if you're living in it, you get a better mortgage rate. And so it could be, you're buying a house and you're renting out rooms. It could be you're buying a duplex and you're renting out rooms or a fourplex and you're renting out rooms. I think fourplex is the largest property you can get where it's essentially where you can get a, an, a, a, the same benefits of having the mortgage of living there as you would for your, for your primary residence. So what else? So one is you would have gone bigger. What else did you learn or would you give people as advice as they're getting started? I would have held on to more of the properties that I was wholesaling or flipping in 2019 and 2020. You know, I, I wholesaled. Uh, I think I wholesaled 12 in 2019 and 16 in 2020. And I think in 2021, I wholesaled 22. And I would have held on to more of those. I had the marketing budget. To, I had the capital to hold on to more of them. I was trying to ramp up some more of the marketing budget. Uh, and so I was doing like for every, let's say I had five properties that we locked up. I would probably on average, I would flip one, burr one, and wholesale three. And I wish that I had, if nothing else, burred two, wholesaled three, rather than flipping one of them. I mean, I could have easily just refinanced one of them and held on to it. So I could have doubled my rental portfolio just by doing that. And it wouldn't have cost me another dollar. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but that was one of the things that I learned from you know, 2009, 2012. I just, I only flipped houses. I flipped a thousand houses. And then when the, when my kind of business and company got shut down at the time. It quickly shut down all of my income. And I remember thinking, oh, I should have kept some of those. And so when I got back into the business, I, you know, now my mindset is flip as few as possible and try to keep the other ones. Now that's changed because of where the market's at for me, where, where I feel about the market in the long-term market, but the, you know, but made some, some of those transitions. So do you think that you're saying that because the market turned out really, really good? Or do you think you're saying that because, like, I guess, or, or, or is there another reason, right? Is it hindsight in the sense you're like, man, I did good on those wholesales, but I would have been better if I held them. 
or was it a change in mindset of you know quick money versus long term money or 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 anything like that yeah i think i i think i just realized that over the long term i'm going to be better off holding those houses and especially because and and obviously a lot of it goes to market and and in this case i'm not speaking macro so much as micro uh the market that i invest in i'm pretty bullish on the future uh we are still probably 50 to 55% of the median like national median home price i mean we're at like 220 is like the normal you know the median home price here and national average i think is like 4 30 last I checked Springfield, Missouri, Springfield, Missouri. So there's five, four, four, four or five fortune 500 companies, uh, headquartered here. Um, there's a lot of growth coming in. I mean, we just got a Bucky's, which I didn't actually think was going to happen in Missouri, but I mean, we've got like O'Reilly's is headquartered here. Bass pro prime trucking, which is the largest privately owned trucking company in the world. Uh, there's like a craft cheese plant. I mean, we got a bunch of, I mean, you get a very, it's all, over. I'm a, I'm a Texas yeah. guy. We got lots, lots of buckies out here. I had to learn about it as being a transplant. So I think some of the next booms that are going to happen are in some of those, you know, states in the center of the country. I just spent a lot of time in Fayetteville, Arkansas and saw that there, uh, anywhere where houses are still very affordable and there are jobs getting created there. I mean, some of the booms that happened in Austin were from businesses moving to Austin Right. And at the time, at the beginning, it was because of affordability. It was because of affordability and low tax basis. And so now there, you know, there's these other things that are happening. So I think right now to, you know, listeners, as I've talked about the market so much of where I think it's at, a lot of that is micro in the sense it's also understanding that there are plenty of markets that, that are defying the odds or will defy the odds for all sorts of different reasons. You know, you get, you get properties next to a sports arena are going up in value. If the sports arena closes, your property goes down in value, right? There's certain things that, that, that there's going to be, you know, other things that will, that will counteract whatever sort of macro conditions that are out there. So what about when it comes to, you know, buying properties, were you buying them and renovating most of them? Were you buying them as turnkeys? So how are you getting, what was your acquisition process like? And if you were doing a lot of renovating, what is your secret to success on that? What advice would you give to somebody that's ready to renovate their first couple properties? <laughs> so the first few houses I bought were either, well, I guess the first, I bought a house first and it was pretty much turnkey other than did some LVP and paint that I did myself uh, in the unit I lived in. And then the second property I bought was a 10 unit that my uh, a buddy of mine basically did some work on as a contractor. And then the next two or three I bought were fairly turnkey, but they were all off market from direct mail, just like the 10 units. So they were all me just handwriting letters to very targeted properties. So I got them pretty much turnkey uh, ready, but below market enough that you know they they were still a really solid deal. I wasn't paying retail for them. And then I got into actual, you know, direct to seller, learning how to text, cold call, direct mail, having a CRM. I wasn't trying to build out a full blown wholesaling company per se, so much as just do enough to keep the marketing alive so that I could buy one or two houses to hold on to. 
Uh, and then I, what I realized, and I guess I didn't answer the rest of your portfolio question. Uh, I really did not enjoy that business model. Um, and so when I kind of laughed when you asked about the re uh, renovation stuff, the advice that I would probably give most people is make sure that fits your personality. Uh, I'm not a very detail oriented person. And I realized fairly quickly that the more I leaned into trying to do flips, the more I either needed a really solid project manager or I needed to shut it down because I was pulling away from, you know, my online business, which was making money, scalable, fun, and not nearly as stressful to me as trying to manage contractors and moving pieces. I mean, you've got a phenomenal system set up. We talked about when you were on my show and I was just struggling to set that kind of stuff up. And so I ended up when I kind of sold and shut down my wholesaling company and when I started kind of selling some of these houses, you know, I, I started kind of moving money into, uh, I sold my 10 unit. I've got a 23 unit apartment, 15 unit apartment. Uh, we're actually under contract to sell it, but we have a, for the last year and a half, we had a 40 unit hotel and then uh, we've got an RV park and looking to buy some mobile home parks and self storage. So kind of transitioning into those larger deals with one or two of my local friends that are really, really, really solid asset asset managers and or operators where I can be the deal finder and or, you know, capital raiser and then just kind of step back and say, hey, look, this is your realm of expertise is making this baby run well. Uh, I'm that's just not my favorite part of the deal. So, yeah, I like that advice of it's reminding everybody that when it comes to real estate, as an agent doing transactions, as an investor getting out there, there's a million different ways to do it. But remembering as people are telling you these different exciting things or seeing the dollar volume and the other stuff is make sure it's your personality. And sometimes you have to try it to figure it out. Sometimes you have to flip a house to go like, I don't want to flip a house. Or sometimes you have to manage construction to go, that was horrible. Because other times you do something and you really, really like it. It's funny, like, I love buying like a trashed foreclosure, just a, just a trashed abandoned foreclosure that I can come in and fix it and, and sell it a week later. And I go like, man, I transformed something that had just been abandoned into like somebody's new home and it's got a new life. But the reality is, is I've made arguably more money on buying a direct to seller normal one that's not a foreclosure or even buying new construction neighborhoods. I probably made the most money buying new construction neighborhoods, which had nothing to do with like my skill sets that I had known from before. It was just about being able to do a pretty good job at betting on the market and having the resources to be able to do it when I did. And so, yeah, it's funny, like knowing what's your personality because the, because there could be, it, it's really easy to chase money and chase returns or chase these ideas of, oh, I can do that too. And don't be afraid to try something and go, you know, I tried it. That part wasn't for me, but I'm going to try to figure out the stuff that, that is my part now. So what are your predictions with real estate moving forward? I guess, is it, is it just, just Missouri that you've been focused on? And um, so what are your, what are your big predictions right now? Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, kind of paying attention to rates and everything else, right? I'm not completely blind to the rest of the world, but definitely focus on Missouri. But the, the weird thing is, yeah, everybody's calling for everything, but it it's kind of hard to, it's like, okay, yeah, there's a lot of things that scream recession, 
But then when I look at just the normal like market indicators, right? I don't see it. And like my gut doesn't say recession and my normal day to day doesn't say recession. I listed three properties two weeks ago or last month listed three properties and all three of them were under contract for full asking price or over within three days of going on the market. And that doesn't scream recession. And then I talked to a buddy who lives in the Bay area and he shows me their days on market tracker and everything under $5 million purchase price is 35 days on market or less on average. Like that doesn't scream recession at all. And then you look at, you know, and so there's just a lot of like the normal things that you would look at for the market. And I'm like, we're not even at 60 days on market. So we're not even close to what would normally be considered, you know, a buyer's market, let alone a recession. And then, okay, how many of these homeowners are locked into a fixed rate 30 year mortgage? Well, they're probably not at a super, you know, at, at below a 5% interest. Like they're probably not super risk heavy for being foreclosed on, especially when they've got an assumable mortgage with equity. So there's a lot of indicators or things there. What I'm more worried about is not so much the real estate indicators as uh, like, I'm trying to get, get a pulse on just like unemployment and like the auto industry and some of those like kind of odds and ends things, because I don't think, and obviously I'm just a nincompoop who has no idea what he's talking about. Right. But I don't think that real estate is going to be the leading domino this time around. And it, it, assuming that this massive, whatever happens, uh, I don't think it's going to be real estate that leads by any means because uh, the the markers that I'm looking at, I'm just like, dude, real estate seems to be doing just fine. I mean, yeah, rates suck, but that's only one piece of the puzzle. The rest of the puzzle is still doing just fine. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Hey, real estate rock stars. We only have a few minutes left in this episode, but before we get to the grand finale, I just wanted to say, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. You know, podcasts are obviously free. You don't have to pay to listen to the podcast, but if you could pay one thing, if I could charge you one thing to listen to this podcast, what I would ask you to do is go, please make a review. Go to wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's on YouTube or on Apple or Android, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go give me a review of the podcast. I read them. I listen to them. I try to make adjustments. You know, a couple of years ago, I had a ton of bad reviews on the sound quality or the number of advertisements, things like that. And I've really tried to dial in to add value for all of you guys. So please, please, please go do a review. If you want to get a, a copy of the toolbox of the stuff that you know everybody that comes on the show, they give us some tactics. They give us something that we put in what we call our toolbox. And so to get that, you go to realestaterockstarsnetwork.com. When you get there, click on the, the toolbox and you get access to the free gift that every person that we interview on the episode provides. There's things like, you know, uh, listing tactics, how to do a presentation, you know, how to do a newsletter, all sorts of cool, fun stuff. And if you want to talk to me, go find me on Instagram at Aaron Amuchastegui. Ask me a question. I talk to so many of you guys on there. All right, back to the show. Thanks again for being a listener. Well, I, I appreciate your prediction, right? Like taking your prediction and, and I, I, what I liked about what you said is the, you know, the economic indicators is one of those things that you're looking at right now because those economic indicators are 
you know, like you're talking about Springfield, Missouri, right? The reason that it's working out so well is it's very affordable and a lot of people are bringing jobs in there. Well, if one of the places, you know, or Fayetteville, Arkansas, Bentonville, Arkansas, where they're building all these different Walmarts, right? Like that's, it's the home of Walmart. So they're like yep. building the corporate office like crazy. And they're making everybody that does business with Walmart move their corporate office to to Bentonville. It's going to bring a whole bunch of stuff in there. Well, something like that if, that, if they change that policy or they did something different or they decided to move their headquarters, or we used to see it a lot in Texas with like oil towns. There are many cities in Texas that are, that were booming because of oil Right. And the, and if they had, uh, and then when oil changed or when something happened, like the, the city, the city would go from booming to just total bust. And, um, when the rest of it, so I, I like that idea of who knows what, but the stuff that you're looking at is the economic indicators. Well, the, this has been fun getting to hear what you're doing, but I want you to tell, I, I want you to now give your elevator pitch for what is military to millionaire. And if people are interested in hearing more from you about that, how do they find you? The, the elevator pitch is uh, the military millionaire platform is the, the biggest military real estate investing platform out there. And uh, if you want a free copy of the no BS guide to military life, which is my book, everything I wish I'd known about, uh, you know, really just finance and the military benefits and the VA loan. Uh, when I join the military, then you can go to thebestpodcastguest.com and you can download the PDF for free there. So uh, I tried to make that a memorable domain. Thebestpodcastguest.com. That's great. <laughs> it's a Brandon Turner idea, and I couldn't believe the domain was still open. I was I like, I can't oh, believe the awesome. domain is open either. I can't believe you got that. You bought that in the last 10 years and it wasn't. So it's amazing. I bought it like three months ago when I went on Bigger Pockets. I was like, we were, he and I were talking about different domain names and I was like, I wonder if this one's open. And Dude, it I'm was, was like, Google. I'm going to start going GoDaddy today and start doing the best, <laughs> this, the best of that. Amazing. <laughs> All right. The best podcast guest.com. They get a copy of your book. And the, um, it's got the all guy, the socials and everything there too. Yeah, yeah. Go check out David's social. The, uh, you know, we, I follow, we follow each other online. Uh, Instagram has been the place where I've been hanging out with, uh, the most and getting to see the different things on there. And even before we hit record, I talked about uh, something that I saw him, some content that he pushed out today. So David, everyone knows how to find you. Any closing thoughts, things you want to share with the real estate rock stars listeners, man, I would just, uh, you know, I would just say if you're if you're an agent or a lender and you got questions about the VA loan or you're hearing any uh, anything that indicates that it's not a competitive product, uh, I would question you. I would I would just encourage you to challenge that belief and jump with the community, and and we'd be happy to point you in the right direction because it really is a powerful benefit. Um, you know, and and there's a million reasons that I could expound upon for that, and I would yeah. just love to help service members crush it with that thing. So, uh, outside of that, you know the piece of advice that I always tell people is just who you surround yourself with and who you take advice from matters more than pretty much anything else in life. So yeah, make sure who you surround yourself with and who you choose to get your advice from matters more than anything. I love that. And listeners, hopefully you came up with some new ideas today, maybe some different ways to make referrals or that idea and that concept that you can make a lot of money as a real estate agent without doing any transactions at all and getting to focus on what you love. I think that that is uh, some really, really fun stuff. David, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with our listeners. Thanks for having me, brother. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, real estate rock stars. Thanks for listening.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.